Hey Grace Fellowship, believe it or not, summer is right around the corner. And from June 24th through July 1st, our senior pastor, Rex Keener, will be teaming up with Pastor Tony Evans to deliver a week of daily chapel messages at Camp of the Woods, a Christian vacation camp just a few miles north of us in Speculator, New York. Now, if you've ever been to Camp of the Woods, you know this place is amazing. Besides the mountains and the lake, they've got beautiful accommodations, delicious food, and plenty of fun activities for the whole family. You can learn more about Pastor X's speaking dates and about Camp of the Woods on our Facebook page or by visiting gracefellowship.com backslash camp. All right. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to worship. We're so glad that you're here today. We've been looking for the last couple of uh, weeks at a daring man of faith named Abraham, and we've been seeing some of the ups and downs in his life. But today, I want to talk to you about something that's not really in vogue in our culture. In fact, uh, we are into pretty much just the opposite of this. It's something called selflessness. Richard Foster writes about it, and he says, we've actually changed the words to make it seem more acceptable. He says, covetousness, we call it ambition. Hoarding, we call it prudence. Greed, we call it industry. We like the term upward mobility, and there's an insatiable interest and desire for personal promotion. I think that Foster is absolutely right. But selfishness is not a new thing. It didn't rear its ugly heads, head in the 1980s or 90s. It didn't start yesterday. Selfishness goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Hey, eat this fruit and you'll be like God. You'll be top dog. We bit, and we've been struggling with selfishness <clears throat> ever since. It infects us all. George Rodriguez was a Mexican bandit who was very, very effective in his uh, thefts. He would slip across the border of Texas. He would rob a bank and then just kind of slip back across the border to his country, and he kept on eluding the authorities. Well, finally, a posse was gotten up to go after him. They caught George Rodriguez and found out for the very first time, nobody knew this, he didn't speak a word, not a word of English. So they brought an interpreter in and said, you say to George Rodriguez, if you don't tell us where you hid the money, we're going to kill you right here on the spot. And so the interpreter said that to him in his native language. And George Rodriguez was scared to death. He said back in Spanish to the interpreter, you tell these men, I do not want to die. I hid the money seven paces north of the well. The interpreter nodded solemnly as though he understood. And then he turned to the men and said, George Rodriguez is a very brave man. He says he's ready to meet his maker. <laughs> Given the right situation, all of us can be greedy, right? All of us can be 
selfish. Generations ago, Patrick Henry trumpeted, give me liberty or give me death. The next generation said, give me liberty. Today, we've reduced it simply to give me. Every sin known to man can be traced back to selfishness. Some of you are old enough to remember that old Christian chorus, we wore it out, but it was a good one. And the words said, forget about, let's forget about ourselves and concentrate on him and worship him. And it's a good song with a great message, but the hardest part of that is to forget about ourselves. Well, in today's lesson from Genesis 13, and now would be a good time to find that if you haven't already on your portable device or in your Bible, Genesis 13, we see a great example as Abraham shows it to us, an example of selflessness. Verse one reads, so Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev with his wife and everything he had and Lot went with him. Abram had become very wealthy in livestock and in silver and gold. Now let's pause there for a moment. Notice that Abraham is prospering materially. By the way, I hope we understand that material things can be a tremendous blessing. Some of the greatest Bible characters, by the way, just like Abraham, were enormously wealthy. But while it can be a blessing, many have discovered that wealth can also be a bane. It brings with it additional pressure and responsibility, and it often brings new temptations. Adam Clark, the great commentator on Scripture, wrote, In earthly prosperity, men tend to forget heavenly things. Prosperity is often a first-class seat on the wrong plane. It may be taking you to a place you really don't want to go. The, com the journey is comfortable, but it's not where you really need to go. So here in Genesis 13, we find that Lot, who is Abraham's nephew, is getting wealthy himself. He's sort of traveling with Abraham. They are sort of family business partners, if you will. But Lot has a lot to learn from his uncle Abraham about selflessness. So as we unpack this story today, I want you to see three aspects to Abraham's life that allowed him to live such a selfless existence, okay? And I'm reminded of Robert Frost's classic poem where he said, Two roads diverged in a yellow wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. I assure you today that selflessness is the road less traveled by, but Christ follower listening to me, follower of Jesus, if you choose this road, as Abraham does in today's lesson, if you choose this road, it will make all the positive difference in your life, both here and hereafter. So what are these things that allowed 
Abraham to live such a life? First of all, I want you to see he had a genuine reverence for God. A genuine reverence for God. Let's pick this story back up in chapter 13, verse 3. From the Negev, he went from place to place until he came to Bethel, to the place between Bethel and Ai, where his tent had been earlier and where he had first built an altar. There Abram called on the name of the Lord. Now, let's push rewind for a moment. Last week, you may recall, we saw a horrendous episode in Abraham's life. And I love that about the Bible. It keeps it real. It shows us the characters, both the good and the bad in their lives. And that can be encouraging. Because if you see someone who is just so far beyond you and so above temptation, it doesn't even seem reachable or realistic. So I like that at least about how the Bible shows us the truth in all of its reality. So we saw how that he had a cowardly streak and he lied about Sarah and said she was his sister instead of his wife. He did that just to protect himself. But miraculously, God intervened and he brought Sarah and Abraham out of that situation untouched and he actually blessed them even through it. So here, here's the point. Abraham has a lot to thank God for. He has a whole lot that he needs to stop and say, wow, God is merciful to me. I need to pause here and worship and reverence his name. Now let me ask you a question. Do you ever pause in your life and do that? Do you ever pause and say, wow, God has just brought me through a lot of stuff. I need to stop and thank him. Do you have a genuine reverence for God? Now, I'm going to give you four T words right now. You may want to jot these down. They're not in your notes. Four T words of ways that we can show and demonstrate our reverence for God. One is time. You know, the Old Testament scribes, as they laboriously copied the Scripture by hand, whenever they would come to the name of God, what they would do is they would pause, put their quill down. They would go and bathe themselves in a ceremonial cleansing. They would actually go and change clothing and then come back and write the name of God. It really slowed down transcription, let me tell you. But it was a way that they showed with time how much they reverenced God. How do you show your reverence for God with your time? By the way, when you take time out of your schedule to pause and worship God, whether it's on a weekend like this or whether it's daily as you have a quiet time and you pray to God and spend some moments with him alone and quiet, you are showing there where your priorities lie. Time, as you know, is one of the most precious commodities of all. So when we honor God with our time, we're showing true reverence. That's where selflessness begins because it's not all about us, it's about him. Second, we can honor God with our treasure. In fact, can I tell you something? I've often said, show me your calendar and your checkbook. Just those two things and I'll tell you what's really important to you. I'll show you your priorities just through your calendar and your checkbook. 
to pause and worship God in the old covenant world didn't just take time, it took treasure, it took money. You had to provide an animal or some grain or some oil or some wine. Whatever was, in, was involved in that offering to God, you had to give up those resources in showing your reverence for him. Once in the Old Testament, King David wanted to offer a sacrifice to God, and he found the perfect place, but it was owned by a man named Arana, a threshing floor. So he asked Arana if he could purchase it for the sake of worshiping God and reverencing him. And Arana said, oh no, king, oh no, you don't need to buy it from me. He honored the king so much, he, he said, I will give it to you. And David's response to Arana is classic in 2 Samuel chapter 24. No, I insist on paying you for it. I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. True sacrifice and reverence comes from the heart and it costs us something no matter who we are. David Livingston is one of the most revered missionaries of all time. A great missionary to Africa. He went through some of the most mind-boggling hardships you could ever envision. And the missionary society that sent him once wrote a letter to David Livingston. And they asked him, have you found a good road to where you're working? A road where travel will be easy. If you do, we have many people who would love to come and help you. Livingston pondered that for a moment and wrote back to the society if you have men who are only willing to come if there's a good road, then I don't want them. He said, I want people who are willing to come even if there's no road at all. That's the kind of sacrifice that honors God. That's the kind of heart he's looking for. And I, I think Abraham reflects that kind of sacrificial heart here as he pauses in the midst of his busy life to worship God and show reverence to him we do it through our time and our treasure we also reverence God through using our talents for him that's your third T word talents do you know what yours are can I tell you something my Christian life took off like a rocket when I realized that God had actually given me talents that I could give back to him in service that I could use to serve God in his kingdom oh that meant so much to me. Because until that time, I had thought God uses other people, but he doesn't use people like me. I was wrong, and some of you may be thinking that way. I want you to know God has gifted everyone listening to me right now, and he's given you special talents that he wants you to use for him. That's one of the things that makes the Christian life so meaningful but let me give you a fourth t word the tongue we actually can also honor god through the way we communicate and speak about god the text here said that he revered the very name and character of god he called upon the name of the lord how are you doing reverencing god you see a real selfless life begins by acknowledging God is worthy, I am not. God is to be reverenced, not me. 
And so I'm going to use my time, my treasure, my talents, even my tongue as I speak to show my reverence for the Lord. How are you doing with that? Now before we quickly move on and see the second key characteristic that helped Abraham to live a selfless life here in this situation, I want to just say one word about this place, Bethel, or as some people pronounce it, Bethel. Bethel. This place had great significance in Abraham's life. Here's why. Because it's one of those places where God had met with Abraham in a very special way early on. Now let me ask you a question before we move on. Do you have a Bethel? Do you have a place called Bethel in your life? It may not have that name, of course, but it has that kind of significance and meaning. It's a place, a Bethel is a place where God has met with you. It might be your prayer closet. It might be a Christian camp somewhere, a place like a camp of the woods or some other camp where you had a special encounter with God. It might be some place that is so secret and, and, and special no one even knows about it. For me, a Bethel type place is where I first worshiped God, Gum Springs Baptist Church in Leoma, Tennessee. That original building is now gone, and there's a more effective building there, a ministry tool, and thank God for that, because the old building was getting really old, run down. But when I go back to that place, even though the original building is no longer there, the memories are so thick you can cut them with a knife. And I remember all these things. I remember how I walked that aisle and publicly repented and received Christ as my Savior and Lord. I remember that a week later in the baptistry I was immersed in water and baptized into Christ. Publicly declaring my faith in Jesus. Wow, what a special moment that was. But also at Gum Springs, it's like a Bethel place to me because it's where I first preached the gospel. Very first time and many times after that. So that has special meaning for me. And then down in the basement of that old building was where over and over and over again I was taught the word of God. I'll never forget the youth leader. His name was Albert Powell. He didn't receive any pay from the church. He was just a volunteer leader. And I remember how he poured the word of God into us and invested in our young teenage lives year after year after year. I believe that Albert Powell, along with many others at Gum Springs, have a great reward in heaven for the investment they made. Do you have a Bethel? in your life. Abraham went back to Bethel because that's where he had had such a profound encounter with God. We all can use some places like that. Second, I want you to see how Abraham demonstrated a relinquishing of rights, a relinquishing of rights. And if you and I are gonna live selfless lives, we not only reverence God, but we've got to be willing to relinquish some of our would-be rights. Verse 5. Now Lot, who was moving about with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents. 
but the land could not support them while they stayed together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. And quarreling arose between Abram's herdsmen, <coughs> excuse me, and the herdsmen of Lot. You get the picture. There's all this livestock, there's all these workers here, and there's conflict beginning to arise over space and pasture land and what belongs to who. Now, if you're not familiar with this story, what you're about to read here is going to blow you away. Look at verse 8. So Abram said to Lot, look, let's not have any quarreling between you and me or between your herdsmen and mine, for we are brothers. Now, by the way, they weren't literally brothers. As we've said, Abraham was Lot's uncle. But when he says we're brothers, he means spiritually we're brothers. We're both believers here. So let's have none of this quarreling. Is not the whole land before you? Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Wow. What a gracious and compassionate response. You talk about selflessness. Abraham here is relinquishing his rights. And note, this represented a loss for him. It represented a financial loss. Because Lot, as most people would do, chose the best looking land. He chose the land that was well watered, that was more lush with pasture. So his livestock could graze there. But it also represented an emotional loss for Abraham because he still had no children at this point and I believe Lot was like a son to him. The son that he was yearning for, the son that he did not yet have. And by the way, we know that Abraham really loved Lot because a few chapters later, he's gonna risk his own life as he goes into a city called Sodom <coughs> to rescue Lot and his family from a very perilous situation there. So Abraham reasons, look, an ounce of, ounce of prevention here is worth a ton of cure, and God's got my back here, so he accepts both a financial and emotional loss. Dear Christ follower, the Bible tells you and me in Ephesians chapter four, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. And that's exactly what Abraham is doing here. He could have pulled rank. He could have said, look, dude, I'm the oldest. I'm the most respected. I'm the leader. I'm the patriarch here. I'm the one who has the parking lot right out front with my name on it. So get out of my way. I'm going to take the best land. But he says, look, Lot, you choose and I'll take whatever's left over. That is incredibly selfless. A teacher was trying to teach her students about fractions. And this math teacher uh, had a little boy named Johnny in her class. He was from a rather large family and they were rather poor. And she said, Johnny, just imagine that your mom bakes a pie for the family and there are six of you. So tell me, Johnny, uh, 
what fraction, what portion of that pie would you receive? He thought for a moment and said one-fifth. She said, oh, no, no, now remember, there are six of you, and your mom cuts up the pie equally. What portion of that pie would you get? He said, one-fifth. She said, you don't understand fractions. He said, you don't understand my mom. What my mom would say is, look, I don't really want any, and we would get a larger portion. That's exactly what Lot should have done here. When Abraham said, you choose first, he said, should have said, no, this is not right. No, you deserve to choose. But greed had begun to take over Lot's life, <clears throat> and he caved in to temptation. John D. Rockefeller was once asked how much money it takes to satisfy a person. And his classic response was, a little bit more. A little bit more. Scripture says to you and me in Hebrews, let your character be free from the love of money, being content with what you have. But boy, that's hard, isn't it? Isn't it hard to give up your rights? Isn't it hard to give the other person first choice? Remember, those of you who had siblings, brothers, sisters, you remember when there was one brownie left? You remember? <laughs> Who's going to get the one brownie that's left? And your mom sees you fighting over the last brownie, and your mom comes in, and if she's wise, she might have said this to you at some point. Look, you, you, you're going to do the cutting, and you are going to choose which one you want. That's brilliant, by the way. Because when she says, you're going to cut, and then you're going to pick and make the first choice on which side you want, guess what? The cutter suddenly has the skill of a surgeon, right? The skill of a surgeon, because you're not about to let your brother or sister get a bigger piece than you. You slice it perfectly down the middle. It's kind of funny when you think about it. It's crazy the way we guard our possessions and clutch and hoard so tightly. And then there's Abraham. Look, I don't care. <laughs> what an attitude. What a magnanimous spirit. What a selflessness. He says, look, choose what you want. I'll take the leftovers. It reminds me a bit of Paul's statement in Philippians 4 where he says, I know what it is to be in need. And I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Now, dear Christ followers, let me say a quick word to you before we move on. When we embrace Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, it's as though we gave up our rights in deference to his desires. It's now not about us. It's about his plan. It's about his will in our life. And oh, how countercultural that is. I hope you understand. That's why G.K. Chesterton once said, the Christian life has not been tried and found wanting. Oh, no. The Christian life has been found difficult and left untried. And it's difficult 
because it requires constant selflessness. That's what Paul meant in Galatians 2 when he writes, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. Not about me anymore, not about my rights, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So let me ask you, do you show a reverence for God in your time, treasure, talent, tongue? And have you relinquished certain rights? Have you begun to live that selfless life that he calls all of us to? I want to tell you, if you choose to live that kind of humble road, people, people may never notice, but God does. And I know a Christ follower is mature when they finally get that this is one of the last lessons that usually comes to the mature Christian's life. It really is. Because you have to really believe that while people may not notice, God does. That takes tremendous trust in God. But now I want you to see a reward for the faithful. Living this kind of selfless life actually brings, in the end, sooner or later, it brings a reward from God. Verse 14. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had parted from him, lift up your eyes from where you are and look north and south, east and west. Now get the picture. Abraham has just been magnanimous and so selfless. He's offered Lot the first choice. And then as a reward for his selflessness, God comes to Abraham and says, look, lift up your eyes. You see all this land? All the land that you see, I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. You see, success in that day was counted in terms of land and livestock and the size of your family. And here says, God says, I'm going to blow your mind, Abraham. I'm going to make of you a great nation. And that further promise came when Abraham had no children at all. Now, please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that if you do the selfless thing, God will immediately give you children if you have none. He'll immediately give you cash in the bank. He'll immediately give you some visible reward right away. He may, but he may not. By the way, we have all eternity for God to reward us, but we love it when the reward comes right now. The only problem with that is Jesus said, woe to you who've been given your reward now because you lost it in heaven. Do you want it now? Do you want it then? That's the dilemma. There was an athlete who is a professional athlete. I heard his testimony. And he talked about the amazing difference that people treated him the way they treated him when he was an amateur, a college player, and when he became a pro. He said it was unbelievable how different it was. I got virtually no attention at all as an amateur athlete, but when I became a pro, oh, it's like I was a 
icon, a star. Everybody wanted a piece of me. They all treated me with such deference. He said the difference was unbelievable. And then this Christ follower said, God loved me when I was a nobody, and he'll still love me when I'm a nobody again. That's powerful. And that's what every mature Christ follower understands. Whether I get the reward now or later doesn't really matter. God notices selflessness. And our attitude should be like John the Baptist. Speaking of Christ, he must increase, I must decrease. So what's the bottom line of all this message today? Here it is. So often we just have it all backwards. We think success and victory is ascending the ladder. God says success and victory is descending the ladder. You're never greater in the kingdom than when you're the servant of all. But I remind you as we prepare to close that although Abraham's example in this story today is marvelous, it pales, it pales in comparison to the example of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, in our culture, we really respect and admire those women and men who've gone from rags to riches. We love it. We can't get enough of those stories. That young guy who had nothing and suddenly just became enormously successful. We can't get enough of that. That woman who was so oppressed when she was little, but boy, wow, look at her now. She's a go-getter. She's got the world by the tail now. We love rags to riches. But I'll tell you something that's even better than rags to riches. Riches to rags. And that describes our Lord Jesus Christ. Imagine the earthquake-sized significance of leaving the glories of heaven where the angels are bowing and saying, worthy is the Lamb, and coming and tabernacling among us for a while, moving into the neighborhood where nobody's saying worthy is the Lamb, nobody's bowing. The response of his fellow humans was, get out of my way, Jew boy. Who put you in charge? Who do you think you are that you would even try to suggest to us how we should live? As he stood before Pilate, Pilate said, don't you get it, man? I've got the power to save or destroy you. And Jesus said, Pilate, you'd have no power at all unless it were given you from heaven. He was reminding him, make no mistake, you don't take my life from me. I am willingly laying it down of my own accord. I'm descending the ladder of success. That's where greatness is found in selflessness and servanthood. Scripture puts it like this. Let this attitude be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of the servant, and being made in human likeness. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. That is riches to rags. 
How's that for a success story? Two roads diverged in a yellow wood. And I? Ha! I took the one less traveled by. And that has made all the difference. Father, would you help us today to see that the road of selflessness has a lot of room on it? Would you help us to see it isn't very crowded? And according to Jesus, our Lord, it's a pretty narrow road. Help us to see that if we choose by faith to walk that road of selflessness as our Lord did, that it will lead us to a cross where we'll see a perfect Savior who died so that we could live. Hallelujah to your name. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.